Hi, I'm Joseph Feraldi. I want to thank you for joining us here at Bayside Chapel Online. Our prayer is that today's service will be a blessing to you, that it will encourage you in your journey with Jesus Christ, and it will help you to see all that God has in store for you. We would love to hear from you on how God is using this ministry to bless you, and we'd love the opportunity to pray for you. Just send us an email at amen at baysidechapel.org. Remember that you can stay in touch with us at any time. Just visit the App Store and search for our app at Bayside Chapel of NJ. Also, if God is using this ministry to bless you, we'd like to give you the opportunity to partner with us financially. Simply go online to BaysideChapel.org or use the Bayside Chapel app and choose whatever option works best for you. Enjoy today's message. There is a phrase that while it was universally taught and drilled into children of my generation seems to be less in favor with each succeeding generation to the point where, you know, it used to be expected of children, but now it's become so rare that it's a refreshing surprise when you find a child who really gets it. Respect your elders, we were taught. That meant that you not only listened to your parents, but you had to pay attention when the neighbor lady said, you watch your language. It meant that when you went to school, yes, you paid attention to your teacher and you respected her, but you also were taught to respect the bus driver and the lunch lady and the janitor. It meant that when you went to visit older relatives, you always obeyed the rules of the house and said, please and thank you. It was such a common cultural value that some kids even tried to use it to their advantage. I remember one time when uh, nine-year-old neighbor Annie Dillon came over and she wanted me to open up my brother's rabbit hut so she could take out one of the bunnies and hold it. And I told her I was not allowed to do that. And she said, but you have to do it. I'm older than you and you have to respect your elders. Now, even as a seven-year-old, I kind of had it figured out that, you know, the command of a nine-year-old neighbor girl did not trump what my parents had told me, that I should never open the rabbit hutch and let the rabbits out. And nonetheless, she gave it a good try. But while kids in the neighborhood might have interpreted it in various ways and tried to use it to their own advantage, we all understood the importance of respecting our elders. Even for my youth, it was clear that that applied also when I went to church, right? When I went to church, it was expected that I would be respectful toward people who were older than me at church, people who were, who were adults. Uh, Pastor Ken talked about that last week in the first part of 1 Timothy 6, that we need to respect those who are older in our midst. But I also learned that respecting your elders also meant respecting the leaders of the church who bore the title elder, that we were to, to respect those who are over us in church, not just those who are older than us, but those who are over us. Now, as we discussed earlier in our study of Paul's first letter to his younger colleague, Timothy, elders are those who are appointed to lead the church. In chapter 3, Paul gave us 15 specific qualifications that a man should exhibit before being chosen for this important leadership position. And we talked in that sermon about how there are three words that are used interchangeably for this one office, those who lead the church. They're sometimes called overseers. That's the word that's used in chapter 3. That's descriptive of their work of overseeing the, the work of the church. 
In chapter 5, they're called elders, and that has to do with the degree of spiritual maturity that is necessary to carry out these responsibilities well. And then other places in Scripture, they're called pastors, and that's a word that means literally shepherd. Again, descriptive of their work, caring for, feeding, protecting, and leading the sheep who are entrusted to their care. Now, in the earlier part of chapter 5, Paul talked about honoring the older members of the church in general, but here in the latter part of chapter 5, he addresses specifically how members of the church should respect those who are over them in the church, those who lead the church, the elders. And here's what he has to say about that. 1 Timothy 5, beginning at verse 17, he says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and for your frequent ailments. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment. But the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. Paul's basic point in this passage is, again, respect your elders. Respect those who are over you in the church. And he gives us three specific ways church members can do that. First, he says, respect their work by giving them due honor. Respect their work by giving them due honor. Show them the respect that is appropriate for those who do this kind of work well. In fact, make doubly sure that you honor them. He says in verse 17, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Back in chapter 3, Paul talked about how the work of the elders or overseers was to direct the affairs of the church. And here he's saying that those who do that work well, those who rule well, should be honored, especially those who work hard preaching and teaching. The idea seems to be that the elders as a group have responsibility for leading the church, but only some of the elders are going to devote their time to preaching and teaching to such an extent that they will require financial support for doing it. Kind of like the distinction we make here at Bayside between the elders who have other employment but participate in leading the church and our pastors who devote full time to their pastor-teacher work. Paul goes on to say that some of the elders who are devoted to preaching and teaching should not just be honored, but paid, compensated. He says in verse 18, For the scripture says you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Muzzle the ox when it treads out the grain. I, I kind of had a Groucho Marx move, moment there where it's like, uh, I resemble that remark. You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the labor deserves his wages. You know, there are several places in Paul's letters where he tells churches that, uh, that those who serve you well have a right to be financially supported. And he even quotes here chapter and verse. First uh, from 
Deuteronomy 24, 15. He's quoting from the Old Testament when he says, do not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Now, what's that about? Well, when you tread out grain, you know, you harvest the wheat and you bring it to a threshing floor and then you tread out the grain. You walk on it or you have animals walk on it. Best yet, you have an ox pull a big stone sledge over that grain and as it moves over the grain, it separates the, the kernels from the chaff and the stalks. It's, it's the first step in the threshing process. You've got to tread out the grain. Now, if you have an ox doing that work for you, pulling that, that sledge, uh, the Old Testament law was do not muzzle an ox while it's doing that work. And why? Well, because certain pagan nations around them uh, would literally muzzle an ox so that it couldn't eat any of the grain while it was working. It was kind of like, well, don't let the ox eat the prophets. Uh, put a muzzle on him. But God said, no. Yeah, that ox is doing good work for you. It deserves uh, a snack here and there. So if the ox wants to reach down and get a mouthful of, of hay or, or wheat while it's, it's doing its work for you, he, he deserves that. Don't muzzle an ox while it's doing its work. And then Paul quotes Jesus himself. The worker deserves his wages. He's quoting here from Luke chapter 7 and verse 10. Uh, and it's interesting when you think about it because Paul and Dr. Luke were traveling companions, right? They, they went a lot of places together. And it could be that Luke was working on his gospel as they were going about their travels. And Paul may have had a kind of a, you know, a firsthand view of Luke's work. And so he's quoting a passage from Luke's gospel where Jesus is sending out the 72, 72 of his followers to go on a preaching mission throughout Galilee, go by two by two. And he told them, as you go to various towns and cities in Galilee, if they receive you and somebody gives you a place to stay and they give you a bed to sleep in and they put food and drink in front of you, take it because a laborer deserves his wages. Jesus himself said that. And so Paul, backed by the authority of the Torah and also the authority of Jesus himself, says to us, respect your elders by giving them the honor they deserve. And especially in the case of those whose work is preaching and teaching, make sure they can make a living. A laborer deserves his wages. You know, I know that a lot of attention these days goes to celebrity pastors who seem to be overpaid. You know, they own multi-million dollar homes and they fly around in private jets and they get chauffeured in Bentleys and they wear, you know, thousand dollar sneakers on the platform. Uh, I hope you understand that's not the experience of the average pastor. You know, many churches are quite stingy when it comes to financial compensation. Uh, like the pastor who once said, I was excited when they told me I'd make a thousand dollars a week. And then I looked at all, all the work they expect me to do, and I realized I came out to about $10 an hour. Another said, uh, you know, the board reported to the pastor, the bad news, pastor, is that we've turned down your request for a cost of living raise. The good news is you now qualify for assistance from our food pantry. <laughs> uh, believe me when I say I've worked in some situations that were just about that stingy. I'm pleased to say that Bayside has always been fair to me in that regard. And I can assure you that our finance committee does a good job ensuring that our staff are fairly compensated. We do that by subscribing to a nationwide database that, that gathers uh, church compensation data from around the country. And it accounts for the size of the church, the budget of the church, the location of the church. It accounts for education and experience. It accounts for what similar churches are paying 
for each position, from janitor to lead pastor. You plug in all that data, and it gives you a salary range for each position. And the commitment of our finance committee and our elders has been that our staff will be in the middle or, or a little better in that range. This is part of respecting our staff by giving them due honor. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain and the laborer deserves his wages. Respect your elders. Respect their work by giving them due honor. And then he says, respect their reputation by giving them due process. Respect their reputation by giving them due process. You know, there are a few things that will destroy a ministry quicker than unfounded rumors and accusations. Have you heard the story about the group of friends who went out to lunch after church? And somebody said to one of them, well, what'd you have for lunch? And the guy hesitated, and then he said, roast preacher. <laughs> Shortly after I came to Bayside, there was a contingent of people who, who left claiming that I was an emergent church pastor who was going to lead Bayside Chapel astray. And that was a little puzzling to me because, well, for one thing, I was pretty sure they didn't have a clue what an emergent church pastor really was. Uh, secondly, I was a little puzzled because they never came and talked to me about that. They just decided that's what I was and talked among themselves, and they left. And fortunately, they didn't have much influence, and that was the end of it. But some pastors' ministries have been destroyed that way. So Paul is wise to say in verse 19, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. He's saying, Timothy, instruct the church that they're not even to entertain an accusation against an elder without evidence real evidence. They must be given due process. They deserve fair treatment as one would receive in an impartial judicial system. And as a trained rabbi, Paul, again, reaches back into the Old Testament law for a precedent that can be followed. It says in Deuteronomy 19.15, a single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. In other words, uh, you know, one person can't just make up an accusation and bring somebody down. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses shall a charge be established. That was the Old Testament precedent. And Paul says that, that works here. Paul says without such testimony, two or three credible witnesses coming forward with real evidence, only with such testimony should an accusation against an elder ever be taken up. Now the purpose of this is, yes, to safeguard the innocent, but also to have a process by which those who are guilty can be brought to justice. An elder must not be falsely accused, but an elder is also not beyond the reach of justice. And so Paul goes on to say, as for the one who persists in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. So don't entertain an accusation against an elder or a pastor unless at least two credible witnesses are willing to come forward. Then you need to investigate it. But if an elder is found to be guilty, and remains unrepentant, then they should be rebuked in the presence of all. Now, there is some disagreement among scholars as to this mean that they're to be rebuked in the presence of the other elders, or they're to be rebuked in the presence of the whole church. And I tend to think it's really in the presence of the whole church, because an elder is entrusted with the care of God's flock, 
When an elder is in sin and unrepentant, the sheep need to know that that particular elder is no longer qualified. That particular elder, that particular shepherd is no longer to be trusted. This would be like giving public notice that a pastor has been fired for being unfaithful to his spouse or that an elder has been relieved from his duties for some, some act of immorality. Sadly, in Bayside's history, the elders of the church have had to make such announcements, but they've been bold and faithful to do that. The sheep have got to know when a pastor or elder is no longer one of their shepherds, is no longer to be followed. And it also puts the other elders on warning, Paul says here. You do this so that the rest may stand in fear, so that other elders know they're not going to get away with stuff, but they'd better stay true to their calling and their qualifications. By the way, it's important for you to know that we have provisions in our church constitution describing the process by which an elder or a pastor can be removed from office for failure to carry out his duties, for doctrinal error, or for immorality. There's a process that we have agreed to follow when charges are brought. It uh, is, is a process by which uh, you know, accusations can be made and then investigated, and it gives an elder the opportunity to, to present a defense before the other elders if he so chooses, but it gives the elders the power to remove an elder or pastor from office for just cause. And Paul, knowing that Timothy he tends to be on the timid side and perhaps would be reluctant to confront a colleague who's bringing shame on his office by persisting in sin, Paul knows that Timothy probably needs a kick in the pants to ensure that he doesn't shirk this responsibility, this distasteful work of disciplining a fellow elder. And so Paul's exhortation to Timothy in verse 21 is about as solemn as it can get. He says, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you, I admonish you, keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. You know, you think it'd be enough to say, in the presence of God, I admonish you. No, he's in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and all the angels, in the presence of everything that's holy, I admonish you to keep these rules without prejudging. Don't, uh, you know, prejudge somebody just because they did something that once rubbed you the wrong way. Don't assume that they're guilty. But on the other hand, without partiality, without favoritism, on the one hand, don't prejudge someone, but get the facts. Listen to the witnesses. Go through a thorough investigation. Uh, let an act, don't let an accusation be made against an elder that's unfounded. On the other hand, don't give another elder an easy pass because he's your buddy. No partiality, no favoritism. If he's guilty and persists in sin, he needs to be rebuked publicly. Why? Because where there is no discipline among a church's leaders, there will be no credibility for the gospel. Where there is no discipline among a church's leaders, there will be no credibility for the gospel. There's an interesting interview that Chris Rock once gave to a magazine where the interviewer asked this popular comedian and actor, were you raised Christian? To which he responded, I wasn't raised anything to tell you the truth. My grandfather was a preacher. He was the funniest guy. He used to curse a lot, run around, whatever. A bunch of deacons from his church got arrested for selling coke. Not selling it out of the church, but you know. The interviewer asked, do you ever regret 
that you don't have a connection with a, a long tradition of belief. And Rock replied, what, that I'm not Baptist or whatever? I, and I don't have this thing to pass down? Not at all, because I do have a long tradition of belief. My belief is in working hard and treating people well. All that other stuff is nonsense. You see, where there is no discipline among a church's leaders, there will be no credibility for the gospel. Elders need to be held account for their behavior. Stay away from any church that won't do that. Likewise, stay away from any church that will let an elder's or pastor's ministry be destroyed by idle gossip. Part of respecting your elders is to make sure they get due process when somebody brings an accusation against them. Respect your elders, Paul is saying. Respect their work by giving them due honor. Respect their reputation by giving them due process. And then thirdly, he says, respect their office by giving them due consideration. Respect their office by giving them due consideration. See, respect for your elders is not just showing respect for an individual who holds the title elder, but it's also showing respect for the office itself. And one of the ways that we show we respect the office is by not installing just anyone in it. Back in chapter 3, Paul listed 15 qualifications we should look for in those who would become elders, and we discussed in that message how we are very careful here at Bayside to follow a process whereby we identify and install someone as an elder, taking those, those qualifications into consideration. And, and I said that it can sometimes take a year or more for us to identify and finally install someone as an elder. And we're unapologetic that it can take so long because of what Paul says here in verse 22. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. See, laying on of hands was a symbolic act whereby elders would set apart someone else to be an elder or a pastor. And Paul is saying, don't be too quick to do that. Don't be too quick to lay your hands on someone. You want to make sure you get this right. If you participate in giving your endorsement to someone who is unqualified or who is likely to misuse the office, then you share in their guilt when you do, when, when they do. If you ordain someone as a pastor, for instance, and you haven't checked that, that they have a history of preying on children, and then they abuse one of the precious lambs of your flock, you share in their guilt. It's as if you took part in that sin. Keep yourself pure, Paul says. Now, there's something about verse 22 that just triggers something in Paul's head. We don't know exactly what it was. Maybe it was the mention of that word pure, but it's like all of a sudden Paul takes a little rabbit trail, which the English Standard Version captures by putting the whole verse in parentheses, as if to say this has nothing to do with what comes before or what comes after. Uh, but it's an interesting insight into Paul's and, and Timothy's relationship. It's almost like maybe the mention of, you know, keep yourself pure uh, sends off a light bulb in, in Paul's head, and, and it's like this little sidetrack thing goes on and say, knowing you, Timothy, you're going to take this and go way beyond what's required. And so I, I mention, you know, uh, that you should keep yourself pure, and I say that an elder shouldn't be a drunkard, and I know you, you're going to say, then I won't drink at all. I won't drink any wine at all. And it might very well be that Timothy had adopted a, a, a water-only policy, but because drinking water from water supplies of those days wasn't exactly healthy, Timothy was always getting sick. 
and some speculate that maybe he had dysentery as, as a result of drinking unhealthy water. And, and so Paul offers him a little medical advice here, right in the middle of, of everything. It might be that he's leaning on advice from his friend and traveling companion, Luke. You know, maybe Luke looked over his shoulder and said, hey, remind Timothy to drink a little wine for his stomach's sake. And that's what Paul says here in verse 23. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Uh, you know, this is not licensed to go get drunk or to go on a binge. This is medical advice here. And it's like this popped into Paul's head and he had to write it down before he forgot about it. And, and having gotten it out of his head and into his letter, Paul immediately picks up his point where he left off about respecting the office of elder by not hastily putting someone in that position. Take your time, he's saying. It's easy to eliminate some from consideration because it's obvious up front that they're unqualified. He says in verse 24, the sins of some people are conspicuous. They're right out there in the open, going before them to judgment. But the sins of others appear later. You know, some, sins, some men's sins go before them and some men's sins catch up to them. Uh, some you'll eliminate right from the start because they're clearly unfit. Others you need to watch for a while because time will reveal whether they're of good character. Time will reveal the sins or their good works. Verse 25, so also good works are conspicuous. A lot of times you look at somebody and, and their good works are obvious, but not always. Some people do their works kind of quietly on the side, but they're not going to remain hidden. Even those that are not conspicuous cannot remain hidden, he says in verse 25. Either way, the truth will come out. Just give it some time. I love the story uh, that comes out of Luzerne County, Pennsylvania, about how the police were asked to investigate a pot of stolen meatballs. <laughs> Guy had these meatballs on his stove, and he came in the kitchen, and they were gone. And he realized that somebody must have come in the house and taken his meatballs. Must have been really good meatballs. And so the police came and they investigated. I guess it's you know, kind of slow in Luzerne County, Pennsylvania. I don't know. But they came and investigated. And uh, lo and behold, the police found an empty pot out in the middle of the street, just up the street from this guy's house. And they drove up the street a little ways. And there was a neighbor. And they shouted out to him, you know anything about this pot? And he said, oh, I don't know anything about that pot. Denied knowing anything. And then uh, one of the police officers got out of the car and walked up to this guy to engage him a little further in conversation, noticed he had red sauce all over his face and his shirt. <laughs> you see, that he, he was arrested and charged with burglary and criminal trespass and theft. And the point is, the truth will eventually come out. Whether good or bad, it won't remain hidden forever, so give it a little time. Do a little investigation. One way we respect the office of elder is by giving due consideration to anyone who would occupy it. Don't be too hasty. Give it time. With time, you'll see things that maybe you didn't see at first. You know, I know that it may seem to some as if the search for our next lead pastor is taking a long time. But I hope you can appreciate that our search committee is giving their work the due consideration it deserves. The search committee that recommended me to Bayside a dozen years ago was extremely thorough in uh, vetting me. And I was surprised by some of the people they talked to looking for skeletons in my closet. But it's all good because they wanted to make sure I was who I appeared to be. 
And I similarly commend the work of our current search committee, Sam Doncaster, Joe Guyberson, John McGinnis, Sarah Boast, and Sue Ellen Boyer. They are not shortcutting the process just because the primary candidate is well known to all of us. Uh, they have engaged in a prayerful process of reviewing documents and interviewing Ken and then interviewing Ken and Laura together on multiple occasions. They've spoken with references in depth. They've engaged an outside consulting firm to give them some objective assessment of Ken's fit for the position. The thinking there is that we might have blind spots where, where Ken is concerned. We know him and love him so much. Uh, so having godly counsel from outside the church helps us to know if we're overlooking something important. And by the way, I want you to be in prayer for this coming Wednesday when our search committee will receive the report of, of that consulting firm, the godly counsel uh, that they're, they're offering is, is vital to this process, and, and they meet this, this Wednesday to take that next step. It takes time, because after all, choosing the next lead pastor is the most important decision we've made in a dozen years. And if we take our time in prayer and we give the process the due consideration it deserves, hopefully we won't have to do it again for another 20 or 30 years. So instead of complaining that it may seem to be taking a long time, I hope you're praying instead. Praying for the search committee as they're getting close to wrapping up this part of their work. Pray also for the elders when they receive whatever recommendation the committee brings and then have to decide what to do with it. Pray that we as a congregation will be led by the Spirit whenever the membership is asked to vote on a candidate to be our next lead pastor. Pray for Ken and Laura as they continue to walk through this process. Look, if we can take a year or more to call somebody to become an elder of Bayside, it's not unreasonable that it should take a year or more to identify the next lead pastor. It's part of giving the office the due consideration it deserves. So there you have 1 Timothy 5, a chapter about the need to respect our elders. The first 16 verses, respect those who are older than you. And these last eight verses, respect those who are over you in the church. Respect their work by giving them due honor. Respect their reputation by giving them due process. Respect their office by giving them due consideration. And to the extent that we do that, follow these instructions here at Bayside, it will ensure that we will continue to be well-led. Let's pray. Father, in this moment, when we as a church are in something of a transition... We are so grateful for the clear and simple instructions of your word that are so relevant to us in this moment. And I pray, Father, that you will help us to take to heart what we've just uh, looked at this morning, that we will be faithful to follow your instructions and do it your way, because, Lord, most of all, we want your man as the next lead pastor of Bayside. So, Lord, we pray for your, your blessing, your direction for our search committee. Give them a unity of the Spirit. And, Lord, we pray that, that you would give them a sense of your clear and unmistakable direction. I pray for the elder board as 
they will eventually receive a recommendation from the search committee. And Lord, again, I pray that you would give them the unity of your spirit and, and just a, a clear and unmistakable sense of how to move forward. And then, Lord, ultimately, whenever that time comes that the members uh, receive a recommendation about who should be our next lead pastor, we pray, Lord, that you would guide us as we would eventually gather and, and vote. Lord, that we might, might be clear on how you are leading us as a church. And we pray for Ken and Laura as they walk through this process too. Lord, just give them your peace and, and, uh, uh, and, and an unmistakable sense of your leading for them as well. Because Lord, most of all, what we want here at Bayside is to be a church that is obedient to you, that honors you in, in the way we go about our business, but a church that, that remains effective in declaring the gospel and bring, bringing people to saving faith. We want a leader, Lord, who, who loves you with all his heart and loves your people as their shepherd. And Lord, we commit all of this before you and pray that you would guide us and direct us for Jesus' sake. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.